This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin and you're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. We've had multiple conversations on the show previously focusing on urban design and how cities should essentially be developed. In these conversations, the term people-friendly sometimes came up. While it might sound self-explanatory, what does it actually mean? Shohana Shamsuddin, President of Perikabanda or Malaysian Urban Design Association, joins me to share the answer. Okay, um, people-friendly cities are cities that uh, actually be designed to meet the needs of the people and to respond to uh, whatever they wanted in their uh, environment. That means people must have a say in how their living environment is being designed and this can be sometimes quite difficult to do because you've got so many people with so many ideas and needs but the role of the professionals is actually to consolidate all the various ideas and to come up with a proposal using their expertise to translate all the viewpoints of the people in order for for us to design an environment that, that suits their needs. Uh, what tends to happen now normally is that most of the time, uh, places are designed uh, without the participation of the people and it's quite difficult to be to be done, I must admit. But lately, there has been some attempts by organizations like Pink City who tries to work with the community to improve their living environment, especially in the city centers. And this attempt is uh, must be, um, I think, must be applauded because it's it's a step forward. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that it's about participation from the people, right? But how can the people contribute to having a say in how the city is supposed to be built? I think this can be done through either community engagement in the sense that the local authority will go down to the communities and set up a local exhibition and call the community involved um, that this is the plan that they have in mind. I mean, a good case is like what they're doing in Kampong Baru, you know. And then to have like a discourse and a discussion with the people uh, to see how they can come to a meeting point, you know. I mean, I, I know it's going to, can be quite tricky and also can be quite, sometimes you can end up with a heated um, argument if there is, uh, if, if the local people are on the opposite side of the uh, local authorities, but you cannot avoid people. You know, you cannot avoid that. You cannot keep make them keep quiet with all their grievances and so. So the best way is just to let them say their piece and then try to find a a midway. But I I remember last time in countries like Germany, they have this thing what they call advocacy planning, whereby when they wanted to redevelop a certain area, they will open up an office at that particular area and they will station their architects and their uh, planners, officials at that particular community area and the community can come in and out of the office to discuss uh, with the uh, architects their problems, what they want to see, uh, what they hope to have in the area after the whole process of 
rehabilitation of behavior takes place. This is an interesting example. In fact, even the children have been called to to discuss and also to actually comment on the proposals for their playground. And the unique thing is that when you have when you ask the children what kind of playground they they want in their urban neighborhood. It's not the kind of uh, playground that you see is normally being done because children actually don't like all these, you know, factory-made swings or, or whatever. They just want something uh, very natural, uh, like sand pit and a tree house and a very, um, what do you call it, playing field where they can just run and roam around. So you see, there is this, this gap between what the adults think that students would like to have in the playground and what the, real, the, the children really uh, like to have. If they will have a say in how their playground is to be designed. Uh, so this is this is one example where you can see that sometimes uh, what the professionals think is good for the people is actually not what the people really uh, think it is. But then we cannot actually leave the uh, get the people to actually design their environment. But the role of the um, professionals is actually to listen and to. Try to understand what are the grievances, what are the needs of the people, and then translate it using their creativity and the skill and knowledge that they gain in their training to be an architect or planner or landscape architect. I'm curious to know, if our existing cities are not designed with people in mind, how were they designed actually? Usually they were designed by the consultants <laughs> and the local authorities will appoint a consultant and the consultant will have uh, certain staff in their office to actually work on the project. And needless to say, you know, sometimes it happens that they don't even go to the site where the project is going to be designed. And, and with the current technology uh, or the advancement in their um, IT, you can actually have access to all kinds of projects all over the world and the syndrome of copy-paste, you know, these copy-paste syndromes or templates, you know, of projects being done um, in other places being applied, you know, and plopped into the, the site without actually adapting it or adjusting it to the needs uh, of the local context. So this is very dangerous, actually. And sometimes it ends up that certain places, you know, after the development has been done, it's not used by the people because it, it, it's been done, you know, without them being involved in, or being consulted as to what you know, they need. One of the major problems to develop a Kampo Baru is this case because there, there seems to be a gap between the authorities and the residents as to how Kampo Baru is to be developed. Some of them wanted to stay remain as they, they are and some of them wanted to uh, have um, profits from the the potential of development over there. But in order to develop it, you have to come into um, a midpoint. Needless to say, um, as far as the uh, urban urban design, as far as urban design is concerned, one of the uh, well, well-known urban designer, Francis Thibault, actually did come up with principles of people-friendly cities in 1992. He was advocating that when if you want uh, the cities to be friendly, then we have to design places, places for the people, and uh, uh, not just uh, places. From when you, we talk about places, it means it involves a locality where people are attached to the place. This concept of mama stall or corners uh, or or, or, or warongs and so forth, where they are 
the local like to hang out. This is an example of what a place should be because there is a kind of attachment. And in order to be friendly, he he also suggested that we should be mixing the use and activities. I think this is very true. If you just place design places where there is only a single use, for example, it's just residential and there are no other activities around, it may be quite difficult for the people to engage in their daily activities. For example, there should be uh, shops around, there should be playgrounds. But I think uh, the, the situation has been rectified by the planning regulation, which requires um, planning standards uh, that specify for certain population, you must have certain kind of facilities. But the way it is been done is just like very regimented. I mean, you just, okay, you have a few acres of land, hectares of land, and you have a a certain number of population and you just need to provide a playground and what sort and then sometimes it's just been provided for the sake of meeting the requirements not as part of a design that that is really uh, to to meet the, the needs of the community so this is something that um uh, we have to work uh, towards that direction and it really um, requires the the architects and the planners to really uh, be uh, open up to suggestions and to be to be able to take criticism or uh, from from the people and not to be defensive about their proposals in the first place. Okay, so like you mentioned earlier, I think there is a need to make sure that the definition of a people-friendly city is inclusive as well, right? And and I think you've highlighted the fact that it needs to be not only. I guess catered to the needs of the people, but also to the needs of the people from you know all ages, gender, and also abilities, right? Um. So where are we with regard to this? Are we inclusive enough in thinking about creating a, a city that's that's inclusive for all? Well, I think we are just beginning to <laughs> into uh, into it, uh, especially when uh, the United Nations has already spelled this out in the new urban uh, agenda and their sustainable development goals whereby sustainable cities and communities is actually something that must be you must have in in order for our cities to be sustainable i think we cannot be relying on the authorities to actually uh, provide the environment that means is the community themselves must play a role but in order for them to play a role, there should be a good working relationship between the authorities and uh, and the communities in getting them to be involved in improving the environment. But as far as the city centre is concerned, I think the authorities must uh, play a role to make the city centre accessible. I think as far as policy is concerned, probably it's easy to be done. In fact, if you look at the KL Structure Plan 2040, the theme is actually uh, cities for all, isn't it? I mean, I think we are not, we, we haven't got any problem as far as policy is concerned, but we have a lot of problem on the ground. We need to see how policies are actually translated into solutions that is actually on the ground that affect the people. So this is where the problem is, that gap between policies and implementation. And also design solution. I've been involved in doing some research with my colleagues where we audit the public places for accessibility and we find that many public places like parks 
waterfront area, the streets, you know. Even though they provide a ramp, but the drop area is not negotiable by the wheelchair. So this attitude of providing just for the sake of providing so that, you know, it looks like you are actually creating an accessible environment. But as far as detail design is concerned, you know, the place is not accessible. So this is, this is also about attitude, you know. Actually, to be sustainable, it's not just about policy. It's a, it's a culture, you know. It's a, I mean, people must embrace it. People must believe it. For example, people must actually have that desire to have an environment that is accessible and friendly to the people. Not necessarily whether you are a planner or architect, but even the, the layman. It should be developed into your culture. Otherwise, you know, if you just do for the sake because you are required to do, then you will not actually be getting the the environment that is really done wholeheartedly, you know, and with passion to make the environment inclusive to the people. That was Shuhana Shamsuddin, the president of Breaker Banda, sharing her thoughts on people-friendly cities. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin and joining me on the show today is Shuhana Shamsuddin, President of Breaker Banda or Malaysian Urban Design Association. We've been talking about people-friendly cities. Let's get deeper into the conversation by looking at what are some of the features of people-friendly cities. But that's yeah, you have to be able to walk, walkability, not just in the sense that you can just walk, but it's comfortable to walk. Uh, I mean, like, um, our, we have a, a climate which is very hot and very wet, you know. So, walkability by providing pedestrian footpath doesn't necessarily uh, solve the problem if you do not do it with the climate in mind. And you also have to make sure that the, the places where you encourage people to walk will be um, comfortable and also safe and also interesting enough to make people to walk. If there's nothing happening along the way, you know, people will not really choose to walk, especially in this weather. We, because we always blame the weather when it comes to walking. But actually, if you look at countries where walking is actually preferred option, you will find that the, the people are healthier and they are fitter because, you know, the in a way, you cre- help to create a healthy group of people by encouraging them to walk through designing environment that facilitate them to walk. Other than that is to have, uh, like I said, you know, to consider the human scale whenever you go, uh, whenever you design. What happens on the ground, you know, how how people, are people really intimidated in certain areas by all these um, office blocks and so forth. Some areas are, are not people friendly, you know, in the, the, in the way it's been designed. It's like, you know, when people pass through, they feel they are being uh, threatened or they feel that they are not being welcomed. So this is, uh, again, um, what you call consideration of the human scale is very uh, important. And legibility as well and transparency in the design of the street environment is important to to make the street safer. I think one of the issues in nation before this is safety in uh, in the streets. There was uh, one stage, you know, some streets are very unsafe with 
handbag, you know, handbags, snatching, pickpocket things, and all those, all those things. This is actually crime. Is actually will happen when there is opportunity, and design can actually reduce the opportunity for crime to happen. And if you are very concerned about safety in the in the streets, another aspect is to design environment that is lasting, you know, and that is doesn't impose a lot of cost for maintenance. I think a maintenance culture is very bad actually in this country. I mean, sometimes you provide design certain area with facilities, and only after a short while, you know, the facilities also look run down and also be vandalized and so forth. So we have to develop a good maintenance culture and also to design environment that can last. You know, to be careful in the way you select the materials and so forth, so that the the facilities and environments will will have a longer lifespan. Then if you if you are just uh, simply provide a, a a design that is just to make it cheap at the point uh, in time and then it's becoming costly to maintain in the long run. So uh, that is also an aspect that it, that can be considered as part of people friendly. Some some people have said that perhaps you know the way KL is designed, um, we have a lot more commercial areas. We have a lot more buildings for people to work in, and um, you know people are now staying outside of the city. Right, they are staying in the satellite towns, in the outskirts of the city, and they come to work in KL. Right. So do you think that a people friendly city should also mean you know having residential areas, um, not just you know maybe high rises buildings where people stay, your condos and things like that, but also a bit of a suburb within the city itself, so that it'll be more people friendly in that sense is that is that a viable option now yeah i i, I think what 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 they are planning for kl the structure plan they are, they're trying to promote transit oriented developments whereby they will build a this community revolving around the major transportation node by rail instead of just by route because at the moment there is a tremendous sprawl urban sprawl of kl in fact it's like spreading from you know we don't know where KL starts and where KL ends because it's uh, along the highways, you know, all kind of um, development, housing will, will take place. The sustainable approach is actually to prevent this urban sport, to make the city more compact and to make people uh, live back in cities so that the city becomes a vibrant place again because if you, if you live away from cities and you still have to work inside the city centre, then you will be commuting. When you commute, you will actually impose a lot of strain on the transportation uh, network. And then this will create a situation of traffic congestion, you know, and you spend most of your time in the cars, you know, going to work and coming back from work. And you, you leave your house when it's still dark and you come back and when it's already dark. So this will add on more stress. Uh, to people, even though you you have a nice environment to live in the suburbs, nice better houses, better, but you only have the weekends to spend the time in the house. Most of the time, you will be in the traffic jam in your office in the city. So this is not really not a a good option. So I think what what you've been suggesting is good. We I think you should try to create back the urban neighborhoods. But probably you cannot have all landed properties in the city center, but. You have a design of high-rise uh, design, which actually incorporate parks and open spaces. For so we got remember the COVID uh, thing where people need access to the uh, open spaces. You also have an upcoming event, a forum that will be talking about this very subject. Uh, can you perhaps share a bit about that? Oh, yes, 
on the 3rd of April uh, 2021, uh, next Saturday at 10 to 11.30am, the Malaysian Urban Design Association or Perikabanda will be organising our fourth urban talk and the first webinar for this year, 2021, which is uh, entitled Urban Design for the People by the People. Making people-friendly cities in Malaysia. We'll be discussing these issues that we have just talked about. You know how the community can can be involved in improving their quality of life, and also be part of the, the decision makers in what can be done to the environment. So we're inviting three panelists for this webinar, and I will be the moderator this time round. I've been the panelist for the past three uh, webinars, so this time I will moderate. Because I would also like to see how we can improve the environment in Malaysia to make it more people friendly. Uh, our first panelist is Dr. Az uh, Nizam Abdul Rashid. He is the deputy CEO and head of the Knowledge Platform and Partnership of Urbanist Malaysia. He is an expert on sustainable development, and he is um. Uh, he has also worked uh, a lot on uh, empowering the community towards creating sustainable uh, cities and sustainable communities. So he will be talking from the government perspectives, you know, on how to create uh, sustainable uh, communities and with a view towards, when you talk about sustainable cities, then we are talking about, you know, people-friendly environment is actually part of uh, having a sustainable cities. Our second panelist is a very well-known social activist, activist is Ko Salmana Sution. She's the vice president of Penang Heritage Trust and the current president of Jaringan Ecology and Iklim Jedi. She's a publisher of Erika Books now. Uh, Ko Salma has uh, has gone a long way of advocating for the um, voicing out the public voice and interest in uh, protecting the heritage in Penang. And uh, after that, she goes into environmental issues when there was a lot of uh, proposals to propose the highway in Penang. She, she quickly goes into advocating for saving the environment and the Penang Hills from further um, uh, destruction through the transportation program that has been proposed. And her experience with being a counsellor, uh, sitting in the local council of the uh, Georgetown, uh, Wanda Georgetown, gives her the insight as to what is the, the how 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 she could advocate for the people's um, needs and uh, interests in in their cities. So our third panelist is also some uh, someone who has worked a lot with the committee, Mr. Rahmat Bayudi. He is also the vice president of Prekabanda, and he is the chief volunteer of Bukit Jelutong Eco Committee Group. Now, Rahmat is a very interesting character because he has got so many community groups that he is um, involved in and giving them advice how they can improve their community environment, to make it sustainable and also to improve their quality of life by being involved in uh, um, taking care of the environment with the help of the authority. So we've got an interesting um, uh, group of panellists in it and I hope uh, that we will have many uh, people to join and listen to this uh, discussion because making people friendly cities actually should be an interest of everybody because we are all part of the people, isn't it? We would like to have the cities to be meeting our needs. At the same time, can I also highlight that Preka Banda is also organizing a National Urban Design Awards 2021, which has been launched on the 6th of March 
and we are now calling for nominations for projects to be uh, nominated for this award under five categories, which is uh, Urban Design Master Plan and uh, Civic Design, Research uh, in Urban Design, uh, Publication in Mass Media, Journals and uh, also Monograph in issues related to urban design and finally students work uh, in urban design. This is the first time uh, such an award is being done to promote good practice in urban design and we hope that by uh, acknowledging uh, the good examples of urban design projects in Malaysia, we will help to promote and encourage for more for works that will be more uh, friendly to the people through good urban design practice. And 17th April will be the deadline for the nomination to this award. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Shona Shamsuddin, President of Perika Bandar or Malaysian Urban Design Association and we've been talking about people-friendly cities. For more information on Perika Bandar's upcoming webinar, you can visit their website perikabandar.org.my. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl or app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Remember to always practice physical distancing and stay safe. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.